Uh, Lord, I pray that the words I'm about to speak as we study your word together today and the words that we all think as we meditate on that word, I pray that that would all be acceptable in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. We are in the last week of Advent. Christmas is coming in just a couple of days. And, uh, and during Advent, we've been looking at these four words that are typically associated with the different weeks in Advent. And, uh, and more than just the words, we've also been taking a look at our mission partners. You see, as a family of believers, we have some other ministries that we work with, that we partner with, uh, and that involves us certainly helping fund those ministries, but it, it really is a true partnership because those partnerships give us opportunities to serve as well, and it's just a wonderful thing that we get to do. And, uh, and so the first week, we looked at that Advent word of hope, and we talked about the fact that um, for children in Bolivia, hope is a difficult thing. And, uh, and we talked about how Ninos Convalor, an orphanage there that we help support, that we get to be a part of the ministry there, brings hope to the children uh, of Bolivia. We looked at what God's hope means in our lives as well. And then the second week, we talked about peace. And we talked about how the, the country of Estonia for so many, many years had no peace. And it's only recently as they were uh, finally out from underneath Soviet rule and became their own independent country, how Estonia finally had peace. But we talked about the fact that they didn't really have true peace, not with God, and that there was a whole generation of people in Estonia that had never heard about Jesus because they had been behind the Iron Curtain. And, uh, and so we get to partner with a wonderful ministry called Josiah Venture, who is all about bringing that good news of Jesus and true peace uh, to that younger generation of people in Estonia. And uh, last week, we talked about joy, this, uh, this amazing idea that God can give us joy that goes beyond mere happiness. We talked about the country of Norway and how in many ways it's a, it's a happy place. There's lots of great circumstances in their lives, but, but, but once again, there's something powerful that's missing there, and that's true joy uh, from a, a knowledge of Jesus, how this country that was supposed to be a Lutheran Christian country has really kind of devolved to the place where Christianity is not a major part of people's lives. And how um, the Lutheran Church in Norway that we are a part of, that we helped found there in Norway, is doing something about that. They're bringing uh, the good news of Jesus uh, to the people there in Norway. Now, this week is the last week, and it's our love week. And, uh, and we're talking about another ministry that we get to partner with, only it's not in some faraway place like Bolivia or Estonia or even Norway. It's right here in the western suburbs of Chicago, a wonderful ministry named Voice of Care. And we're going to talk about their work a little bit today as we celebrate what God's love is all about and how God's love is in many ways really different than what we normally think of when we think about love. Now, to do that, we want to take a look at the story that you just heard a little part of read, the story of this guy named Mephibosheth, who was a grandson of the king of Israel, grandson of King Saul. Now, Mephibosheth um, was disabled. We know that when he was very little, um, his nanny, who was taking care of him, uh, his nurse was, was walking with him and carrying him, and something happened, and she dropped him to the ground. And as he fell, he landed awkwardly on both of his little legs, and they broke in a way that they could never be repaired again. And he was crippled the rest of his life. He could never again walk. He could barely stand without any assistance at all. Um, it made a significant change in Mephibosheth's life. But there was something else that made a significant difference in his life. His grandfather, King Saul, lost God's blessing in his life. He, he did things that were evil in God's sight, and God finally decided that he couldn't be king of, his, of God's people anymore. He couldn't be king of Israel anymore. And so God raised up a new king, this king by the name of David. 
And, uh, but, but Saul didn't give up the throne so easily, and there was a civil war, uh, a civil war there in Israel between Saul's army and David's army, and with God's blessing, David's army won. Now, in those days, it was a common occurrence that when one king would defeat another, it, what, that, what that, that winning king would do would be to kill anyone from that other king's family that might have a claim to the throne. Now, that sounds barbaric to us, but that was just common practice in the world of that day. It'd be kind of like if, uh, you know, once the president got elected, you know, he killed off the Clintons because, you know, that was, that was it. You know, we would never think of something like that today. But, but back in those days, that's what happened. And so we're told that after David takes the throne, one of the first things he asks is, are any of Saul's relatives left alive? And they see just one. One of Saul's grandchildren, his grandson, this, this kid named Mephibosheth, he is still alive. And, and they tell David, he's not only alive, but he's hiding. He's hiding in this little backwater town in a, in a, in a corner of Israel somewhere. Now, now David comes to find out he's hiding not just because he's worried about losing his life. He's hiding because of his disability. He, he, he's an outcast. And David says, send for him. Bring him here. He says, I, I want to show him love and respect. And you're going, yeah, right, David. Because you see, David could be a pretty ruthless guy. And so Mephibosheth is brought before David, and it's this kind of crucial moment in the story. And, and even though David has been saying the right things, that he's going to, he's going to protect and take care of Mephibosheth, th there's, there's this dreaded feeling you have in the story that, no, he's actually going to kill him. And so Mephibosheth shows up, and he kind of throws himself at David's mercy, and David looks at him, he says, don't be afraid. I don't want you to be afraid. I'm, I'm not going to hurt you. In fact, David does two amazing things, um, maybe one more amazing than the other. The first thing he does is he says, I'm going to restore to you your grandfather's property. In other words, everything that belonged to King Saul is yours. The land, the, the wealth that goes with it, it's all yours. I'm not going to claim it as my own. As, uh, I'm just going to give it to you. You can have it. And in fact, David said, I've commanded men to farm that land for you and take care of that land for you since you can't do it yourself. And, and you'll receive the proceeds of that. You're going, to be, you're going to be set for the rest of your life. And then maybe most amazing at all, David looks at Mephibosheth and, uh, and he says to him, and by the way, I want you to come live with me here in the palace. I, I want you to not only come live with me here in the palace, but, but I want you to have a seat at my table. I want you uh, to have a place of honor at my table for the rest of your life. That's my promise to you. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. There were some pretty important people sitting around David's table. There was Nathan, the prophet. There were his sons, Absalom and Solomon, who would eventually become king after David. There was the prophet Nathan. I mean, there were, so it was kind of a who's who in Israel of the day, sitting around that table with David. And then here's Mephibosheth. By the way, you, you notice how Mephibosheth sees himself. Did you catch that? When, when he's talking to David, he says, he says, who am I that you would, you would do this for, for this dirty dog, he calls himself how he saw himself because of his disability, because of this brokenness in his life. But David showed him love and compassion. Now, now, I would argue that there are three things in this story that we can learn today as we study it together. 
And, and the first thing is we do want to talk a little about why does God let bad things happen to people like what happened to Mephibosheth? I mean, sometimes in this world, we know bad things happen to us and it's our own fault. We've, we, we, we messed up. We did something wrong and, and we got to pay the price for it. We get that. But, but that wasn't the case for Mephibosheth. He was just a little kid. He was nothing more than a baby. When someone else's mistake ends up ruining his life for all intents and purposes. Why does God let that happen? We'll talk about that a little. But more importantly, we want to talk about the nature of love. Because, because there's something about uh, David's love from Mephibosheth that helps us see a deeper reality of what God's love is really all about. We want to talk about that. And then finally, we want to talk about the role that that love plays in the lives of people who are broken and hurting and the role that we can play in helping God's love make a difference in their lives. So those three things, let's take a look at them together. Let's start with this idea of why does God let things like that happen in people's lives? And I love this verse from Lamentations that we just heard read. It, I want you to take a look at it. It says this, it says, for God does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Did you hear that? God does not willingly bring affliction or grief in the lives of people, not to anyone. Now, you've probably had someone uh, maybe admit that they felt this way to you, or maybe they never admitted it, but you kind of knew that's what was going on in their lives. I know I, as a pastor, see this all the time. When people are hurting, when they're broken, when there's something terrible happening in their lives, there's this part of them that is asking, why me? What did I do that is making God punish me this way? Or, or, or is this a sign that God doesn't love me, that, that, God, that God doesn't care for me? We have those kind of thoughts when we're going through a, a difficulty or a struggle, something like what Mephibosheth went through. And, and by the way, Mephibosheth certainly believed that was true. He had been taught that that was true. He had been told that that was true, that his brokenness was a sign of God's judgment on him. But that's not what God's word says. God's word, in fact, says the opposite. Look at the other verses that are connected here in Lamentations 3. It says this. It says, no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, and, and I would argue what it's saying there is, though he allows these things to happen, what it says is he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. In other words, what the Bible teaches us is no matter what it is you're going through, no matter what the brokenness is in, in your life, no matter what the struggle is in your life, whether you caused it or whether it was just caused by the fact that you live in a broken world and bad things happen in this world, God's promise is that first of all, he will be with you. He will not abandon you. He is not turned his back on you. And, and more importantly, God's promise is that eventually his love will win in that situation. Hey, notice it says, so great is God's unfailing love. God's love is unfailing and, and there is nothing that can separate you from that love, it says later in the Bible in the book of Romans. That's God's promise, that his love can carry the day in your life. Now, let's, let's talk about that love a little bit. Let's talk about the nature of that love because as we study the Bible, we find there's something different about God's love than what our love is normally like. 
Um, one of my favorite commercials uh, on TV right now is that Taco Bell one, you know, the Sunset Heart Hands one, you know which one I'm talking about? If you haven't seen it, it's this guy and this girl, and they're obviously very much in love, and they're doing all these great things together, and, uh, you know, he's taking pictures of her doing all this stuff, and then he discovers the new roll-up taco, chicken tacos, or whatever they are from Taco Bell, right? And all of a sudden, he loves those more than her, Right? And, uh, and, and there's this crucial moment near the end of the commercial where she's got the sun perfectly framed in her hands, and she's like, take the picture, take the picture. And he's like, um, I'm busy right now, right? By the way, she turns on him pretty fast, too, when he, he doesn't take the picture. She's like, I said take the picture! <laughs> no, I, I know it's just a commercial, but, but honestly, there's some truth in there about how we as human beings tend to love things or, or people even. All too often, our love is based on what those people or things do for us. In other words, I love you because you make me feel great when I'm with you. I love you because there's needs I have in me that are met by being with you. I love you because you love me. And by the way, what happens when that person stops loving you or whether they aren't meeting your needs anymore, whether they don't make you feel the way they used to make you feel, then, and then our, we don't love them anymore. And relationships end and marriages end. We, we, we see it happen all the time. But there's something different about God's love. God's love, first of all, is not based in what we do for him. In other words, God loves it that you came to worship this morning and he, and he loves it that you were singing his praises this morning, and he, and he loves it that you're getting ready to celebrate his birth and, and keep him in the middle of your Christmas, but that's not why he loves you. He loves you because that's what he does. I love this verse from Romans, where, where it talks about this truth that, that this is what God's love is all about. It says, God demonstrates his own love, his kind of love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, God doesn't say, clean up your act first, and then I will love you. God, God doesn't say, um, I, I need to, to make sure you've got some problems fixed in your life, and then you can be my child. No, God simply loves you as you are. We say it this way all the time at Trinity. We say, there is nothing you have to do to make God love you, because the moment you were born, the moment he created you, he already loved you fully and completely, and there's nothing you could ever do, by the way, to make him stop loving you that way. That's the second part of God's love. God's love is unfailing. In other words, it's unconditional. There's nothing you can ever do to make God stop loving you. That's the true nature of God's unconditional love. And amazingly, we see that happen in this story. What, what did Mephibosheth do to make David love him? Nothing. What was David getting out of that relationship? Nothing. In fact, I bet you there were a lot of people around that table looking at one another the first time David brought Mephibosheth in and set him down going, what the heck is David doing? Is he nuts? See, now, David was not always the perfect guy. In fact, David could be ruthless, and David made some pretty big mistakes during his life, but David did know and understand the unconditional love of God, and there were times when David was able to put that into practice in his life, and this story with Mephibosheth is one of them. David showed Mephibosheth 
God's unconditional love. The same love that you and I have received. Mephibosheth got everything restored in his life. That's the, that's the power of that unconditional love. That unconditional love came into Mephibosheth's life from God through King David, and it changed the trajectory of his life. Even though he was a cripple, even though he was never going to walk again, at least not this side of heaven, he was restored. He, he, he was given a place in the kingdom. He was given back his grandfather's property that, that would have belonged to him if he had been still on the throne. He was given a place at the table in the, in the household of the king. God's love was unconditional for him, and it restored the brokenness in his life. Now, by the way, we've been talking about the fact that, that Mephibosheth was disabled. And I want to talk about that for just a minute, because the reality is, um, sometimes we think, well, there are disabled people, and then there's normal people like me. But that's not really true. The fact is, all of us have a disability. Some of our disabilities are easier to hide than others. Some of our disabilities don't get in the way of living our everyday life as much as others. Folks, we all have brokenness in our lives. We all have ways that our lives fall short of God's plan for us. It's just some of us can hide it easier than others. But we all need that unconditional love of God. And we all need to see what God's love can do in that brokenness of our lives. A few weeks ago, I had a chance to hear uh, Tim Tebow speak at a leadership uh, conference. And uh, he's a great public speaker, by the way. He's a dedicated Christian. If you ever get a chance to hear him, I, I'd highly recommend it. It was, it was powerful to, to hear him share what God has done in his life and share his story. But there's one particular story he shared that I want to share with you. It, it, it happened in his life long before he was a famous football player, long before he was trying to be a famous baseball player, um, long before you had ever heard of him because he put the John 3.16 under his eyes, under his eyes for the bowl game, right? Um, this was back when he was a teenager. His parents were going on a mission trip to the Philippines, and they took Tim along. Now, now, their goal on this trip was to go to some backwater areas of the Philippines where people had never heard of Jesus, where they worshipped a pantheon of pagan gods, and to go into these villages and tell them about the true God who had created the universe and, and about Jesus and how he was born a little baby uh, in Bethlehem and how he became a man who died on the cross for their sins and rose again to conquer sin and death from them. And, and so they went in these villages, in one particular village, uh, again, where they had never heard these stories about Jesus, they gathered the people together, and they were able to tell them these stories about Jesus, and the people received them very well. In fact, that most of the village ended up getting baptized and, and believing in the true God and in Jesus as his son who had saved and rescued them. But, but Tim noticed there was this one little boy there in the village named Sherwin, and and, uh, and Sherwin had this, this horrible, crippling thing. He had been born with his knees basically um, cr like malformed to the point that his knees actually bent the wrong way, which meant he was unable, barely able to stand. He was certainly unable to walk. His parents had to carry him wherever they took him. But Tim noticed something else. Not only did his parents carry him to, to the gathering of the, of the villagers, but his parents didn't see him over with the rest of the kids. All the other kids were all together in one place. The, the parents just let the kids all go be together, but, but not sure when he was over with his parents. And so Tim, when they had a break, he asked the parents, he was like, why? Why, why is Sherman here and not with the other kids? And the parents explained that there in the village, what they believed is that the gods had cursed Sherwin. That's the way, reason he was born that way. 
And so the other parents didn't want their kids to have anything to do with this boy that was cursed by the gods. Well, Tim decided he was going to change that. And so, so he hoisted Sherwin up on his shoulders. That's a, an actual picture there of Tim with, with, uh, with Sherwin. And, and he started carrying Sherwin everywhere around the village, talking to as many people as he could with the message this, that, that the God that created this universe, the God that we've been telling you about, that sent his son Jesus, that God loves Sherwin just as much as he loves you. In fact, God loves everyone the same. We are all God's children. All of us have a place in God's kingdom. Sherwin isn't cursed by God. In fact, he's loved by God. Tim's goal was in those hours where he carried Sherwin everywhere he went, it was to, to change the trajectory of Sherwin's life there in that village so that people would know that Sherwin had value. And uh, at the very end, it was time for them to leave. And, and, uh, and Tim, Tim said when he was talking about it, that his dad looked at me and goes, you need to put that kid down. We have to leave now. And so finally, he sat Sherwin down and he gave him a hug. And, and Sherwin looked at him and he said, he said something that Tim will never forget. He looked at him and he said, Mr. Tim, someday in heaven, we will run together. And Tim said with tears in his eyes, he said, yes, we will, Sherwin. Someday in heaven, we are going to run together. I promise you that. We are going to do that. And then, then later, as they were leaving, Tim started thinking about it. And he was thinking, you know, we never really taught the village much about heaven. We told them about Jesus, and we told them about how he died for their sins, and we told them how he rose from the dead, and we did tell them that someday we'd all go to heaven together, but we really didn't tell them at all what heaven was going to be like. But somehow, Sherwin connected the dots, and he knew, if God loves me, and there's a place for me in heaven, that I'll be fixed in heaven, and I'll be able to run in heaven. Sherwin connected the dots. He, he understood the power, the potential of God's love in his life. Now, by the way, as I was researching this story after I heard Tim tell it, to make sure I could tell it right for you guys uh, this weekend, I found out there's more to the story than, than Tim even shared at that conference I was at. You see, as Tim has now become famous and, and, and been blessed with resources, his foundation has gone back to the Philippines and they built a hospital there for children. That's the effect that that Sherwin story had on him. And just recently, just a few years ago, in came another little boy into that hospital, this boy named Aldrin, who had the same physical deformity that Sherman had been born with. And, uh, and, and Tim writes on his blog how they were able, the doctors were able through a couple of pretty long surgeries to fix his knees. So not only will, will Aldrin run in heaven someday, he, he can do it right here and right now on this earth. But here, here's the point to that. Not only do we need to know and understand like Sherwin did that, that God's love is powerful enough to, to overcome any disability, any brokenness, any pain, any struggle in our lives, that, that we don't have to always wait for heaven for that to happen. We know it is going to happen in heaven, and, and, and yeah, sometimes we do have to wait till we're in heaven to fully realize the power of God's love in our lives, but sometimes through God's people... God brings a little bit of heaven, a little bit of that hope and healing into our lives right here and right now. That's why, by the way, I'm so proud that we as a church family get to be part of this ministry called Voice of Care. Voice of Care is our fourth mission partner. And, uh, and Voice of Care works right here in the western suburbs of Chicago to make a difference in the lives of those who are suffering with disabilities. And in our church has been partnering with Voice of Care for a number of years, not only helping, again, fund the work that they do, but being blessed by that partnership together. I'd like you to hear a little bit more about Voice of Care's story. Let's watch this. 
Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Voice of Care exists to help congregations work the fields for God's harvest. Over 56 million Americans have a disability. That's 20% of the population. Almost half of those people have disabilities that are labeled severe. 4.6 million people in our country have developmental disability, one that affects the cognitive as well as physical capacity. 80% of those people with disabilities are unchurched. They have no church home and neither do their caregivers. Sadly, 85% of churches have no disability ministry. Voice of Care's mission is to equip the church to nurture people with disabilities and their caregivers in their walk with Christ. At Voice of Care, equipping congregations for disability ministry begins with changing attitudes. Voice of Care walks alongside congregations, offering training, resources, and support during this journey. Voice of Care believes that every church has a disability ministry waiting to be discovered. And by sharing models of disability ministry and matching congregational passions and strengths, Voice of Care helps open the doors to reaching people with disabilities for Jesus. Meet Peter a member of Trinity Lutheran Church in Lyle, Illinois. He is a young man with developmental disabilities. When Trinity placed an emphasis on small group Bible study, Peter wanted to be included too. Peter's parents reached out to Voice of Care looking for a Bible study in which the men from Peter's group home could participate. Trinity decided to host a Bible study two evenings each month. Voice of Care trained the group leaders and supplied appropriate study materials. Voice of Care continues to assist Peter and his small group to participate in church Bible study series by providing material adapted for their cognitive needs. Despite their disabilities, Peter and his homemates are eager to serve the Lord through volunteer service projects. As a group, they helped brighten the lives of children living in a medical residential facility by making Christmas picture books. Voice of Care has grown out of over 40 years of disability ministry in Northern Illinois. Girded with experience, time-tested techniques, vetted resources, and a passion to share the gospel with people of all abilities, Voice of Care is equipping churches across the nation, primarily funded by individual donors and dedicated congregations. This summer, Voice of Care debuted a special friends camp with Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Frankfort, Illinois. During closing worship, campers took turns going up on the stage to lead songs. At the very end, one camper approached the stage. This was a young man, Andrew, who is on the autism spectrum. He typically mumbles when he speaks and holds conversations with himself, unintelligible to others. Andrew likes to read aloud, but he spits his words out rapid fire like a machine gun. The music began, Andrew took his place, sang spoke to the melody. Andrew pronounced each word clearly, phrasing the message and pausing at all the right places. He sang the song, Who Am I? by Casting Crowns. It became clear that he understood what he was singing. This man knows Jesus and wants to share him, yet he is trapped in a body that limits his ability to communicate. 
given the right tools, in this case music, Andrew was given opportunity to share his love of Jesus. When others heard Andrew, there were tears and hearts were touched. This is what Voice of Care is all about, creating opportunities to be co-laborers. I just love the fact that our church gets to partner with Voice of Care and make a difference in the lives of those who are disabled all around the area. And we've been blessed by that as well. And one of the things I wanted to make sure you didn't miss in that video, it's not just about providing care and resources for people that are disabled, it's helping them, in turn, share that with others and serve and care for others like, like God has called us all to do. It's just a wonderful ministry, and I'm proud, again, that they are a mission partner and that, that, that we get to work together with them as a church. You know, in just a couple of days, we're going to celebrate Christmas, and, and, and we're going to talk about the fact that, that Christ is born, that, that this baby has come to us, that Jesus left the joys of heaven and became a little baby in a manger. He did that for you and for me. He, he did that for people like, like, like Sherwin that, that Tim met in that village in the Philippines. He did that for people like Peter, who's a part of our ministry here, but, but needs extra resources to understand the gospel. He did that so that whatever it is in your life and mine that is broken, that wherever that point of pain is in your life, wherever that struggle is in your life, that God's unfailing, unconditional love could overcome it and make a difference now and for eternity. It's been such a joy to, to take a look over these four weeks at our four mission partners and, and, and the hope and the peace and the joy and the love that... that just flows through us, through the work that we do with them. Would you bow your heads and would you pray together with me? 